put a spell on you. Because you're mine. Stop the things you do. scumbags and scumbagettes i would like to welcome you to the inaugural episode of the scumbag diaries today's episode episode zero is all about scumbag magicians and i can think of no man fictitious or real who fits that moniker better than the grimy limey the world walker the hellblazer none other than john constantine himself John Constantine made his first appearance in Saga of Swamp Thing, issue number 25. Alan Moore's artist kept drawing Sting from the police into the background of the panels. And eventually, he just came to Alan Moore and said, Listen, I'm not going to stop drawing Sting. You're just going to have to give him a story. And that is when John Constantine was born. Alan Moore created a working-class magician and con artist that would change the landscape of comics Forever. You may have heard of John Constantine from the 2005 film starring Keanu Reeves entitled Constantine. And while that is one of my favorite movies of all time, it's also the only movie that strays as far from the source material as it does that I still enjoy. And I think it keeps the spirit of Constantine alive, even with all of the, uh, the, the differences between the film and the, and the source material. Now, John Constantine was born in Liverpool, England, and his mother died during childbirth. His father blamed him for it, 
reminded him every day. And in the live-action TV series version of Constantine, his father referred to him as Killer, which was, you know, not, not very nice. <clears throat> he is a humanist at his heart who... His main goal is to defend mankind from evil, but he's also, as 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 he would say, a right foul cunt. When Constantine was in the womb, he actually was a twin, and he strangled his twin brother with his umbilical cord. And that's his, you know, first sort of his first his first selfish thing, I guess. Although later on, it would come to find out that his brother would have been an evil prick, and he eventually comes back and gives Constantine a whole mess of trouble. My favorite thing about John Constantine, which is really interesting and I just think great, is that he's the only comic book character to ever age in real life. So every year that passed in the real world, in the comic books, Constantine would age at the same time. That's really awesome. He is a descendant from a long line of sorcerers, and he has a probability distortion field. So basically, his aura manipulates luck around him. And I'm not even certain if he's aware that he has that ability. It's an innate ability from his bloodline. He was in a punk rock band called Mucus Membrane, where he met the parents of Astra Logue, a girl whose fate would later haunt Constantine for the rest of his days. During the Newcastle incident, there was some magical mishappenings that had gone down, and there was a demon running amok. Constantine, in order to stop that demon, thought it would be a good idea to summon a more powerful demon by the name of Nergal. Now, Nergal showed up, did the deed, did everything Constantine said, but at this time, Constantine was not that adept as a magician. He was naturally very good at it because of his bloodline, and he started at a very young age, but his hubris got the best of him, and the demon Nergal drug Astrologue to hell. He is a member of Justice League Dark, which has recently got two animated films that I suggest everyone check out, and he is voiced by Matt Ryan in that, who is also the actor that plays him in the live-action TV series Constantine, and in Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow is great because even though Constantine the TV series got canceled halfway through its first season on NBC, CW later retained the rights to the character and threw him into the mix of the Arrowverse. First he made a couple of cameos, but in the last two seasons of Legends of Tomorrow, Constantine has been an integral part of the group. And this last season closed out Constantine's story arc from the TV series. So if you're not going to watch anything on the CW or Arrowverse or any of the DC TV shows, but you want to learn more about Constantine, I would suggest that you watch the NBC series, even though it ends on a cliffhanger that's kind of... It, it's, it's shitty, to be honest with you. And you're going to get pissed off, but... The last two seasons of Legends of Tomorrow round that story arc out in an almost perfect way, and I'm very grateful for that. They even put the Dangerous Habits story arc into the latest season of 
Legends of Tomorrow, though they sort of compounded it into like 15 minutes of an episode, but it's still great. And that's the same story arc that they followed in the film in which Constantine gets cancer. As I said before, he was a con artist, but he's a brilliant con artist. He has he has conned and outsmarted the likes of God in the DC Universe, Lucifer Morningstar, the Triumvirate of Hell, and probably the most important person and the most impressive person that Constantine has outwitted is none other than the world's greatest detective himself, Batman. In fact, when Batman teams up with John Constantine, Constantine is the only person Batman will hand the reins to and let him take the lead because he understands how clever he is and how great he is as a magician. I plan on doing an entire episode about John Constantine in the future, so I'll, I'll, I just wanted to give you some of the juicy bits now to maybe get you interested if you haven't heard of him. But my main talking point for this first episode is actually about Alan Moore, the man who created Constantine. Alan Moore has made some great comic books that are world-renowned and just a, a part of comic book history. He made The Killing Joke, which gave us the first origin story of the Joker. He wrote The Watchmen which became a celebrated movie and now a new TV series, even though Alan Moore doesn't like his books to be adapted into movies. He wrote V for Vendetta, which was also adapted into a movie. He wrote From Hell, which was a story about Jack the Ripper that was adapted into a movie starring Johnny Depp. And here is how he fits into the episode. Alan Moore himself is a neo-gnostic hermetic magician. On his 44th birthday, he had had a little bit to drink, and he announced to the world that henceforth he would be a magician, and he stuck to it. His practices involve mixing alchemy, astrology, and theurgy together. Theurgy is the, the attempt to grow ever nearer to God. Um, he has a quote saying that magic is a purposeful engagement with the phenomena and the possibilities of consciousness. He believes that the material world and the immaterial world are one, and that if people could understand and exist in the interior and exterior at the same time, then the world would just sort of reach a higher level of vibrations, and essentially we'd go through the apocalypse. The reason... I bring that up, and the reason that I think he fits on the list of scumbag magicians is because Alan Moore writes his books as if he were writing a hermetic magic spell. And hermetic magic is difficult because you have to line everything up perfectly. It has to be a completely circular, rounded... Everything has to fit together in a certain way at a certain time in order for the spell to be powerful and you to obtain the results you try to get. But the reason he's a scumbag is because Alan Moore literally tried to bring about the apocalypse. How he did that is he wrote a story called Promethea. And the premise of the story is that a woman is tasked with bringing about the apocalypse. Now, the way that he wrote this story is he wrote 32 issues, which are the 10, which it, it represents the 10 spheres and the 22 paths of the Kabbalistic tree of life. 
the story was actually finished in the first 31 books. So he made a 32nd issue, which was 32 pages, and they expounded on the pass of the Tree of Life and broke down each part of the book. And it was sort of the, the microverse to the first 31st book, the first 31's book, Macroverse. He's also quoted in saying, Humans are amphibious. We live in two worlds at once, the world of matter and world of mind. And eventually in Promethea, that is how she brings about the apocalypse. Everyone realizes the material and immaterial are woven together and they can perceive them both at the same time. And it's not a, um, it's not a tragic apocalypse. It, it, it just goes from the etymology of the word. So epoch, meaning period of time, and lapse, meaning the point in which that period becomes another period. He uses the the phrase solvet coagula, which means separate and combine. That is an alchemistic term. And he predicted and tried to bring about the apocalypse in 2017 because he believed that at that point, humans would be absorbing information at such a rate that we would just understand everything and reach our apotheosis. Now, the main work of Alan Moore that I want to get into is actually V for Vendetta, because it's eerily echoed throughout what's going on today in society. The overarching plot is that a deadly virus was released onto the world, and it had sketchy origin, America got hit the hardest and initially, or eventually was blamed for it. There were riots after someone was wrongfully killed by police. Everyone wore Guy Fox masks. It's, it's kind of strange to watch V for Vendetta in the year 2020. And as I, I told you before, he writes everything as a spell. And you can sort of see his, his political and spiritual views in V for Vendetta. For instance, we have the main character, Evie Hammond, who is a female, and the main antagonist, the leader of the patriarchal, suppressing, evil government, is named Adam. And that's kind of interesting. And then you have V, who is this Luciferian Lightbringer character that takes Evie, puts her through this simulated torture, which to her is completely real, which is where the line, artist tells lies, artists use lies to tell the truth comes in. And through that torture, she reaches a Gnostic apotheosis and transfers from the weak, timid Eve archetype into the strong, powerful, feminist Lilith archetype that wants to take down the patriarchy and just shatter the fucking system. As I stated before, Alan Moore is a neo-Gnostic, and I'm going to do an episode about the Gnostics later on. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a strange subject, and I'm not that familiar with it, but on the whole, Gnosticism is a belief that we are basically living in a simulated reality that is being controlled by the Demiurge and his Archons. And in the film V for Vendetta, the Demiurge could be represented by 
Adam Sutler, the High Chancellor. Um, I just said um on a podcast. That's really professional, right? Anyway, enough about V for Vendetta, because I'm, I'm going to do a whole episode on Alan Moore. Also, anyway, I've got lots of episodes planned out. Next, I'm going to talk about his character, Dr. Manhattan, who definitely fits into the Christ archetype. Dr. Manhattan's symbol on his forehead is known as a circumpunct, which isn't only the alchemical symbol for gold, it is actually the first known symbol to represent the all-seeing eye of God. And it's placed right in the center of Dr. Manhattan's forehead, where his third eye is. And with that, I'm just going to move right into my next scumbag magician on my list, Willoughby Kipling, who is also a fictitious wizard from DC Comics who made his appearance in Doom Patrol. He is a British magician who chain smokes cigarettes, drinks heavily, and wears a trench coat. And you're probably thinking, that sounds a little bit like a cut-rate a cut rate John Constantine, and that's because it is. Grant Morrison, when he was writing Doom Patrol, wanted to bring John Constantine into the comic book as a character, but Vertigo was publishing the Hellblazer books at the time and told him no. So he just created a darker-haired, darker trench coat-wearing, deeper, cockney-accented John Constantine. Willoughby Kipling is played by Mark Shepard, who plays Crowley on Supernatural in the Doom Patrol TV series, and I think he does the character great justice, and I think that even though John Constantine and Willoughby Kipling are similar, there are enough differences between them that you can enjoy them both. And now, because of the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover on the Arrowverse, it has canonized all of the DC live-action films and TV series, so Willoughby Kipling, Willoughby Kipling and John Constantine exist in the same live-action universe, I think it would be really cool to see them cross over together. That's enough about Willoughby Kipling. I don't really care about him. He was just a segue into my next scumbag magician, who is Grant Morrison, the man who created Willoughby Kipling. He is known for writing books such as The Invisibles, All-Star Superman. He had a great run on Doom Patrol, and honestly, I think, made Doom Patrol great. He is a... Chaos Magician, and Chaos Magic is my preferred, preferred, preferred form of magic. It's, it's the one that interests me the most. Now, Grant Morrison is a strange cat, and I don't really know what order to go in the things I have to say about Grant Morrison. They're not really linear, they're just sort of anecdotes from his life that I think are interesting. The first one I'll start out with is In the Invisibles... He pulled a Stephen King and wrote himself into the story as a character. And he kept writing himself these girlfriends in the book that were hot and cool and all this stuff. And eventually, he decided that he wanted them to be real. So Grant Morrison drew a sigil, performed a ritual, and then two weeks later, he said that the woman he had written as his girlfriend in the comic book appeared to him in real life, and he dumped his then-girlfriend for her. Also in The Invisibles, he wrote a story arc in which his character got bombarded by bacterial gods. 
at the same time in real life that happened, he got staph infection and went through the exact same pain and um, suffering as his character in the comic books, which is really crazy. And while he was dying in the hospital, Christ appeared to him and gave him the power to cure cancer in felines. That's a pretty dope skill to have, I think. He was abducted by aliens in Kathmandu, and those aliens showed him the true nature of reality. He is quoted by saying, The universe, the entire space-time continuum, from Big Bang to heat death no less, was not a linear stream of events with beginning, middle, and end. That was only how it felt from the inside. All life on Earth was one thing, a single, weird, amoeba-like megahydra. Grant Morrison is definitely an interesting cat. He is definitely a great comic book writer and has contributed greatly to the field of comic. And I think that I'm going to go ahead and just cut it off abruptly there with Grant Morrison because I'm going to do an episode on him as well. I'm pretty much going to do a solo episode about every topic that I'm talking about in this one. This is just sort of a, an extra episode to give you a flavor and feel of what's going on. The next scumbag magician on my list is a real person. He didn't write comic books, and he's not a comic book character. His name is John D. And John D. was the advisor to Queen Elizabeth II. He is the person who coined the phrase, the British Empire. He is the father of modern intelligence agencies, and his code name was 007. That's actually where Ian Fleming got the code name for James Bond from. Aside from being a brilliant mathematician and strategist and advisor to the Queen, he was also a magician, and with the help of the psychic Edward Kelly, they spent, I believe it was 22 or 24 days, locked away. He just kept feeding Edward Kelly booze, and Edward Kelly channeled the Enochian Angels. The Enochian Angels gave Edward Kelly and John Dee the Enochian magic system and their own alphabet. They also told John Dee that he needed to help Queen Elizabeth essentially take over the world to bring about the apocalypse. And, you know, you could argue that they they essentially do run everything. America's free, but Great Britain still gets 20% of all of our taxes. The IRS is owned by a company that exists in the city of London, which is just like the banking district of London. The IRS isn't even really a government-run thing in America. So one could argue that through, you know, centralized banking and the Jesuits and the Roman Catholic Church being so intertwined with Great Britain that they kind of do own everything. Even in um, countries like Australia and South Africa, the Navy is the Royal Navy and is at the command of the Queen. She could literally tell those navies to just come to America and bomb the shit out of us if she wanted to. But that's a whole other podcast. Uh, a lot of people think that John D. and Edward Kelly 
made the whole thing up, but linguists have looked at the Enochian magic system, and they think it's, you know, it's a real language for sure. It has its own grammar, its own rules for existing, and it's just sort of, it's sort of a creepy thing to think about, uh, especially since these Enochian angels were really telling him to bring about the apocalypse, and I'm not certain if the apocalypse he was trying to bring about was as altruistic as the apocalypse that Alan Moore was trying to bring about, and I think that Edward Kelly definitely fits the term scumbag magician. The last scumbag magician I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to get in too deep on because his life is sort of shrouded in mystery. It's hard to separate fact from fiction, but he's definitely interesting, and this man has affected pop culture and society in ways that are almost unfathomable. And that, my friends, is how we get to the probably most important scumbag magician on this list, Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley referred to himself as the Great Beast 666, the wickedest man in the world. He was known as a great seducer. He has a story about how when he was 14 years old, he seduced his nanny. He is a notorious drug addict who got addicted to heroin and cocaine, although they were prescribed to him for asthma, which is interesting. The world used to be a lot more punk rock. But Aleister Crowley was a... He's known as being the most adept practical magician, and he joined the Order of the Golden Dawn and rose through the ranks super fast. He wasn't necessarily liked by other people in the Order, and the the main reason for that is because Crowley was openly bisexual in a time when that was super taboo. Never mind the fact that all of these people were performing ritual magic, they couldn't deal with the fact that Crowley liked both men and women which is interesting. Crowley uh, is a notorious drug addict, and he had a large inheritance when he was younger, but he basically used that inheritance to publish all of his books, which is kind of cool. Uh, I don't even know if, if Crowley could comprehend how much he's affected society, but he wrote some pretty wicked stuff that I'll get into in the Crowley episode, because it's kind of dark. And some people think that the darker, more evil things that he talked about were metaphors or him sort of, like, steering people away from the truth that he had found when he knew people weren't ready for it yet. He announced publicly that he had become one of the great secret chiefs, and he had contacted his guardian angel. He eventually left the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and started the OTO. Or he didn't start the OTO. He sort of he sort of joined the OTO and and took over, but he definitely became the patriarch of the OTO. And in his later years, people were assuming that he had squandered all of the OTO's wealth and he was blowing it on drugs and all of this stuff. But when he died, they actually found all of the money that had been dedicated to the OTO under his bed. Crowley went to the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid of Giza, and like Edward Kelly, or not Edward Kelly, like John Dee, used a psychic 
to channel an entity. This entity's name was Lam, and he the, the drawing of him looks damn near identical to a gray alien, and that connection, the occult and magic and extraterrestrials, the inner earth, all that shit we're going to talk to in later episodes, but I think that's kind of heavy for uh, for the inaugural episode. But Lamb gave him a lot of information that Crowley then used to write the Book of the Law and the Book of Lies. And the interesting thing about Crowley is if you if you read his books initially without any any sort of knowledge of magic or his life, you're not going to understand what the fuck he's talking about. And I have read Book of the Law, Book of Lies, and Diary of a Drug Fiend. And if I'm being completely honest with you, because I'm not initiated, I don't know what the fuck the Book of the Law or the Book of Lies is even trying to say. And I've read them both. Diary of a Drug Fiend is interesting, though, because it is a fiction novel, but it sort of keeps the themes of Thelema, his religion, in the book, and he he's he's quoted by saying that uh, the secrets to all the universe can be knocked down to IAO, which is Isis, Osiris, and I think Anubis. I'm probably fucking that up. I should have written it down, but on the Crowley episode, I'll definitely I'll definitely nail it in the place. Um, he was very good friends with one of the like main people at NASA and Roman Polanski and this dude from NASA went out into the desert and performed the ritual that Crowley used to summon Lam which pissed Crowley off cuz he didn't they didn't ask permission they didn't consult him first. They just did the ritual. And coincidentally, after doing the ritual, that coincides with the same time that UFO sightings, uh, contact events, abduction events all started becoming more and more prevalent. And that's an interesting thing to think about. That's enough about Crowley. I know I've, I've sort of just glossed over all of these people, but as I said, I will be doing an episode about each of them we're sort of reaching the end of the first episode, but I, I had initially planned for this to go an hour. I had a segment planned with my friend Dylan, and we were going to talk about all the stuff I've talked about today, and he was going to bring his expertise in about another fictional sorcerer by the name of Dr. Fate, and I'm actually going to record that with him tomorrow and upload the second half of this episode at the end of the day. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up and upload this first half of the hour so people can get a taste of everything. My, my first episode was actually supposed to be on July 4th, and I have that way more structured than this, but I felt like I should throw you guys a little nugget of what the podcast was going to be like. I, I found that it's it's pretty difficult to speak to yourself for an hour. I've actually... This is probably the sixth time I've attempted recording this podcast, and I don't know if it's nerves or anxiousness or fear or what was fucking with me initially, but I decided to just get over it. Just just be myself, be as transparent as I possibly can, and let you guys decide whether you enjoy the podcast or hate it. Either way, I'm going to keep doing episodes. I'm going to try to do 
one episode a week, but I myself am a recovering scumbag, so I might not. I might let you guys down. It might be, I might miss a week, I might miss two weeks, I don't know, but I'm shooting for one podcast a week. Uh, the topics are going to vary from conspiracy to politics, probably not politics, because I don't really, you know, I don't know, fuck politics, but there, there's going to be some involved. I want to talk about world events. There's a lot going on right now in 2020. We have a pandemic. We have protests, riots, whatever you'd like to call them. I think the media is sort of skewing everything, but I don't want to get into that in the... I don't think... I fucking know they are, but I'm not going to get into that now. <laughs> we'll save that for, for a conspiracy episode or something. But in closing, I want to thank you all for joining me on this adventure. I want to thank you for listening and to all my friends who have been supporting me throughout me trying to get this rolling, I, I, I really appreciate that. And most importantly, I think it's important that, that was kind of redundant, I think it's important that we understand, regardless of political views, of worldviews, of views on race and gender and politics and everything, that at our core, we are interwoven with existence. We're made up of molecules and atoms that vibrate at a pace and touch each other that creates us, and the air has molecules and atoms that vibrate at a frequency, and those atoms are touching us, and if the atoms touching are what create everything and builds the structure of things, then we are literally part of the bigger whole we are the micro to the macro and with that being said i don't know if we'll ever reach the apocalypse like alan moore where we live in the ethereal and the ephemeral at the same time i don't know what's going on i don't know if magic is real i don't know if i don't i don't know anything honestly and that's the whole point but i think it's important for us to have discussions and to talk about these things, and to hear other people's point of view. I also think it's important to be offended, because if you become offended, it forces you to think. And you can resist that. You can get angry. You can push it to the back of your mind. You can allow the cognitive dissonance to sort of like dissipate any lesson that you might learn. But at the end of the day, being offended makes you think, and that is important. I think that thinking and feeling are both integral parts of existence and that you should try to come at things with equal emotion and equal logic, even though that sounds damn near impossible. But in closing, thank you all for listening. Love everyone. Everyone love everyone. And to quote the immortal Bill Hicks, it's just a ride. So enjoy it. It's just a ride. Thank you very much for listening to the Scumbag Diaries. I will upload the second half of this podcast tomorrow night. I hope you enjoyed it. I know there was some hiccups. You could hear me playing PlayStation in the beginning of the episode because I was nervous and wanted to sort of distract my ADHD brain. But I put the controller down when I realized the clicking was coming into the audio. I definitely stumbled over a few words. My thoughts weren't completely organized or linear. And I think that on episodes where I have a guest to sort of bounce things back and forth with, that'll even out. But I hope you guys enjoyed it, or at least learned some things, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Hello, scumbags and scumbaggets. Welcome to 
the second half of the Scumbag Magicians episode. I'm here with my friend Dylan, and we are going to talk about another DC Scumbag Magician by the name of Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate. Dylan, do you... I don't know shit about Dr. Fate, so I'll, I'll just... I'll, I'll give you the floor. Well, Dr. Fate has many aliases, and uh, he... Uh, is a very strong, strongest magician in, say, all of the Marvel and DC universes. Do you think he's stronger than Doctor Strange? I do okay. believe that he is stronger than Doctor Strange. I think that there was even a death battle from Rooster Teeth where Doctor Strange lost to Doctor Fate. Kicked his ass. I'm going to have to look that up. That's awesome. It's a very good episode. They uh, really showed all of their abilities and how even though Doctor Strange had the Time Stone, Doctor Fate still kicked his ass. Now, how how big of uh how big of a deal are Doctor Fate's artifacts? Because really, Doctor Doctor Strange is a pretty good magician, and the Time Stone just amps all of that shit up. Yeah, all of Doctor Fate's abilities really lie in the helmet. But, if you're talking about Kent as Dr. Fate, he was trained from 10 years old how to be a magician by Naboo in his human form. Oh, damn. And he showed him how to levitate and control things with his mind without using the helmet before he gave him the helmet. And... Some of his other abilities, like the cloak, give him invulnerability and flight without him having to expend any of his magic. It's a very strong guy right there. I didn't know that. That's cool. And uh, he, before he was a Doctor Fate, he was a different kind of doctor or a professor. He was, and his father was an archaeologist. Mm. And he followed him, and that's how they discovered Naboo's temple. And through that, he lost his father. But he gained a mentor and friend in Dr. Faith. Would you say that Kent is the only vessel of Dr. Fate he had any, like, I don't want to say emotional because he's a god, but that he gave a shit about because it seems like all the other ones he just sort of used them, I guess. Dr. Fate is all about using people <laughs> to get what he wants. So you'd say he's a scumbag? Yes. Alright, cool. He just cares about a means to an end kind of guy. All he wants is order and whatever means that comes by. They are lords of order. I could sort of I could sort of understand that. Technically not gods. They are just lords of order who are as powerful as gods, and they keep order within the entire universe, which is why Dr. Fate disappears a lot. And he really only shows... Like, the, the one experience in reading comics where Dr. Fate showed up for me was in the Dark Knight's Metal. Yeah. He showed up... Uh, I can't remember which fight it was, but it, it was either when the Red Death Batman was going to kill someone or when 
the like crazy queen or the crazy not queen mary but the crazy female aqua woman i don't know bat aqua bat woman that was a weird one but he he showed up uh right when shit was about to get really nasty dr fate uh has a lot of older comics he started around the same time as batman uh in a comic book series called more fun comics i believe and he could beat superman damn at least that's you know because superman's one Weak magic main weakness is magic which is why shazam kicks his ass most of the time i'm gonna go off on a tangent in the middle of this podcast because you just reminded me of something amazing. Have you heard of the Deceased series? No. So it's basically the technovirus that makes Cyborg. Cyborg uh, mutates with an extension of the uh, what the, the uh, Dark Sides equation, the anti-life equation. Mm-hmm. And it basically starts turning everyone into a zombie. And spoiler alert... Isn't that the same thing that happens in the, what is it, the Death Ring from all the older series? Yes, pretty much. The Green Lantern's Death Ring? I think so. Because they use that in... The Anti-Life Equation? No, I think it was not Flashpoint, but one of those sort of New 52 era where they just have all of the Justice League die and come back using the power of the death ring. That, oh, damn. I think Batman uses it. And the only way they win is somebody gets the life ring and they have to fight against him. It's uh, it's fucked up, this one, because it's not a happy story. It's, it's one of those bad ones. And it's... it's I, when I tell you what happens to Superman, I want you... I want your opinion on whether or not it makes sense that this would happen. So... A bunch of crazy shit goes... Captain Adam, first of all, uh, after a lot of the fucking heroes get infected with this virus and just basically become zombies, they are in a Cadmus base, and Amanda Waller is like, listen, or uh, the Adam is, Ray Palmer's Adam, is inside an infected person trying to, like, science his way through the fucking thing and figure out what's going on, and he hasn't come out yet, so Amanda Waller just tells Captain Adam to go enact plan B, and he's like a living weapon, so he just goes to the hot spots and starts fucking slaughtering everyone to just get rid of this, and he's not happy about it, but then he like feels some weird shit inside of him, and you find out that Ray Palmer got infected and went into Captain Adam and just started eating his heart from the inside, and he like went nuclear. Does Captain Adam have a heart? Not quite. I don't think he does, because he's just... Stars material, isn't he? Yeah, he's just like nuclear, yeah. I thought. Like, sort of like, uh. Because he's like. And not the quantum Superman Captain Adam, but the, the like main continuity Captain Adam. He's basically kind of like the other Captain Adam, uh. An allegory. Not an allegory, but like a play off of Dr. Manhattan, right? Yep. But he dies, which is weird, and goes nuclear, and it destroys Philadelphia. Metropolis and another city 
and... If that's all, he got off easy. Yeah. Uh, the Canary is also the Green Lantern in this universe, which is weird, and eventually they're all just chilling in the Fortress of Solitude, and... Lex Luthor shows up, and he's like, I'm not trying to fight. And then, like, you see a really vulnerable side of Lex, and he's like, do you see what they did to our city? And then it's really sad, because they're they're chilling there, and Damian Wayne, Robin, is, like, trying to find out where his dad is. And a Giganta shows up as a zombie and starts fucking shit up. <laughs> and Superman shows up. Knocks her down. I just fucking jumped from the Fortress of Solitude to Giganta. That happened way before this. Before the Fortress of Solitude, Giganta showed up. Superman knocked her down. Oliver Queen shot a giant explosive arrow through her head. And then... I suck at telling stories. Before (laughs) Superman... Superman didn't even knock her down. It was Batman. Fuck! I ruined this. Anyway. (laughs) The Batwing shows up and shoots missiles at Giganta. She falls down. Oliver Queen blows a hole into her head. And then Damien's like, Dad, and runs up to the Batwing, which had gotten knocked out of the sky. And Alfred pops out and tells Damien that Bruce is dead. And he drops a suitcase on the ground. And he says, Your father told me to tell you that you deserved this, and you always deserved it, and he should have said that to you himself. And... It opens up, and you see the bat suit, and you see four little cartridges with the symbol of the rest of the Justice League on, because it's his contingency or whatever. So Damien's Batman. Flash forward to them being in the Fortress of Solitude. They're trying to decide what to do, and Lex is like, we're going to build these six arcs that can take seven million people off the planet. And Clark is like, we're not leaving this planet to be destroyed. We're going to fight for it. Lex makes a snarky remark about how Superman's going to lose two home worlds. Lois <laughs> Lane knocks him down, Got just straight punches him. And then he gets back up and he's like, we really should do the arc thing. I'm the smartest planet on the world, or I'm the smartest man on the planet. And then he goes, wait a minute, is Batman still alive? And they go, no. And he goes, yes, I'm the smartest <laughs> man on the planet. And uh, then they all start hearing like a hum in their head. And the hum turns into a scream, and a fucking zombie Martian Manhunter shows up and just takes all of Barry Allen's side out and infects him, too, and he takes off running. And Wally goes to go after him, and Superman says, no, I'll get him. And this is kind of a cool moment, too. Wally's like, are you fast enough to catch him? And Superman goes, no, but I don't have to be. I'm going to go around the planet from the other side and run into him head on. Yeah. So he does that, and he flies through the Flash, but after he lands, he was going past the speed of light, and so was the Flash, so two of Flash's fingers, like, somehow impenetrated him because of quantum entanglement. I get Yeah. Too fast? I and uh, it, it infected him, and that... An evil, techno-virus-controlled Superman is not something that anyone wants to deal with. And I'm just going to spoil the whole story arc, because why not? I don't know if anyone that is going to listen to this even gives a shit about comic books, but they're going to after this. Alright. Comic books are great. They are. He kills a bunch of people, 
And Lex Luthor takes her one of the arcs. Superboy's like, I'm the only one that can stop my dad. And he, he flies off the arc. And then John Kent runs into his dad. And it like they literally hit head on. And they're both kind of zombie dad. They're both stunned for a minute. And he comes to... And at the moment he comes to... The entire Green Lantern Corps shows up. All of them. Just like... Whole they would squad. probably just blow up the planet. Well, what ended up happening is Superman, zombie Superman, realized that he couldn't take on the entire Green Lantern Corps. So what he does is he just flies into the sun and starts absorbing all of it. Yeah. And he... That's how you got, what was it, Ultra Superman from the New Yeah, the like golden to... glowing fucking... Jesus Christ, Superman. But this one, he just he just wants to eat it to exhaust the energy, and the Green Lantern Corps is like not even the power of the like Green Green Lantern's rings can go into the heart of a star. You guys all just need to leave, and when the star when the sun burns out, the universe will grow so cold that it'll like make the Technovirus lie dormant, and that's just the end of the series. It's super dark. I think. The Green Lantern Corps would just blow up the planet. It's weird they intervene. Well, I guess that's not natural. Because the reason Krypton blew up, there was a short story about Krypton's Green Lantern and how he went to the core because he knew what was going on. And they wouldn't let him intervene directly. I feel like that's different. Because the thing with Krypton was it was a war between the planet and another planet. And they both blow up. But if it's a virus that's going to spread, I feel like the core would have to step in because they are basically the defenders of the universe. To tie it back into the topic of the episode, why do you think Dr. Fate didn't show up? That seems like, even though it's an alternate universe and they wanted to go dark with it, do you? that seems like something that would cause a giant onk to appear in the sky. Well... It doesn't really mess with the balance, I feel like. Okay. Because one planet isn't going to mess with the order of the universe. Someone, like Superman, getting infected, maybe Dr. Fate could have showed up, because that would be a lot to handle for anybody. But... You know, sometimes Dr. Fate could have been busy with something else more important. Or it could have been false. Because if no one's wearing the helmet, there is no Dr. Fate, right? Basically. like he just If is... he's needed, he'll find somebody. The stronger the magician, the more useful they are to Naboo. But he could use anybody. Just because if they aren't magicians, they'll die a lot faster. <laughs> Damn. Did you know, speaking of Dr. Fate again, that when Kent opens the sarcophagus, it releases the gas that kills his father. And in repayment is why Dr. Fate teaches him magic. But, because he's a child, he's like, we gotta skip this nonsense. And he just ages Kent to an adult, just like magic. I didn't know that. That's insane. Like 10 or 12, and then he became like a full grown adult. 
That's kind of fucked up. Yep. He just decided that it would be too much of a hassle to train a child. <laughs> I'm not going to raise you. I'm just going to teach you. He just magicked him Damn. to an adult. That's awesome. And he uh, he is... Do you, He is pretty much the most... I guess Superman's the most OP character. I'd but that weakness to magic is way... Dr. Fate is more powerful than Superman just outright. He would beat Superman the majority of the time. Now, if it was the full Justice League, Dr. Fate might have a little trouble. But other than that, Batman might be able to outsmart him. But Naboo is nearly a god. I say nearly, but he's a lord of order. Technically not gods. That makes me think of the Endless, because they're like, technically not gods, but they're... They like to use that in comics. Yeah. Technically not gods, but all powerful. Yeah. Like the uh, leaders of the Green Lantern Corps are practically ageless. Nearly undying. Until it makes it more convenient for the story. <laughs> and then the whole core dies. I like the way I like the way DC's going now. The uh, Doomsday Clock sort of they brought back the JSA. They like re they brought back Wally West. The the original Wally West, Ginger Wally West. Nice. Uh they are tying Sergeant Rock back into continuity and they just did a lot of stuff that I thought was it was it was basically a bunch of fan service and when I read when I read the first Doomsday Clock story with the button with the Batman Flash crossover I didn't like it I was like what Dr. Manhattan what the fuck are they doing like and they basically they basically explained all the they 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 did what the X-Men movies tried to do and explain away all the plot holes. Sometimes but they pulled it off. you just gotta have plot holes. True. Otherwise, your story is just gonna be too convoluted. You're gonna fill it with too much stuff. Nobody's gonna be able to follow. And I think that suspension of disbelief is important anyway, so fuck a plot hole. Especially in comics. <laughs> True. You gotta think that a green boy can turn into a dog. With I magic. S- I believe that in the real world. I believe that a green boy could use magic to turn into... A dog in 2020. <laughs> Anything's possible in 2020. But I, 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 yesterday when I did the first part of the Scumbag Magicians podcast, I talked about Constantine a lot. And while I would like to get into how I heard Constantine fucked up Dr. Fate, but I won't because I don't know the story. I don't know if it really happened that way. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't Kent for sure. And it was on another earth. So it doesn't really count. And I found out. That not only was it another Earth, but the Constantine that did that was a Constantine from another Earth on another Earth, saving a Constantine from another Earth. So there are a lot of elements to that story. But you are the one that told me that Constantine's house wasn't always his. Yeah. I think that Constantine would put up more of a fight than Doctor Strange against Doctor Fate, but 
I don't think Constantine would win. That story you were talking about, how Constantine beat up Dr. Fate, I'd have to read it myself, but... I didn't even read it. I, I watched a, a YouTube recap, so there's definitely... I You know what? It might not... I could have just made the entire thing up. That's also a possibility, but I'm pretty sure that I watched a YouTube video and that I heard that happen. Well, like I said, I'd have to read it. I don't think. It seems unlikely after learning more about Dr. Fate, though, because he pretty much... He... Does he have reality-bending powers, or does he just have, like... Because Spectre can pretty much rewrite reality if he wanted to, right? And... I know Dr. Fate, can, he, like, knows when to intervene. Mm-hmm. And does he have clairvoyance, or is it just sort of a a vibe? They don't really go into it too much, but I feel like it's more of a vibe. Because there are many Lords of Order. It's a group of them. And they feel, they feel for it. And if somebody starts to get too out of control... Or a Lord of Chaos shows up somewhere, they'll intervene. Other time, they try and just let people be people, which I like. I think that that's a. Uh, it's an interesting character. It's a very powerful character. Definitely, and you. Uh, you also told me that he's the son of your, I dare say, favorite comic book character. I wouldn't say favorite, but favorite villain. Fair enough. Vandal Savage. Mm-hmm. Vandal Savage is another character we could go into, but not very magic. He's a scumbag, so fuck it. I mean, I went oh, off on a, a huge. He's a scumbag. I'll, we'll we'll do this because I went off on a fucking deceased tangent, so we'll just hop into Vandal Savage too. Plus, it'll fill airtime. Okay. I'm down with that. Let's do it. Vandal Savage is merely immortal, walking through time he started as a caveman and he found a rock from space and it gave him immortality and a mind smarter than people today in the times of where they didn't have fire and he's been around since then and he uses his mind and his brute strength to outsmart and outplay both villains and heroes. And he is also someone who really doesn't play favorites, right? Like he he doesn't really the only and I my only interaction with Vandal Savage, and I'll throw this out for the people listening because I like to give them I don't think I don't think people who don't read comics will go read comics, but I think that I can indoctrinate them by, like, sending them towards the TV shows and stuff. And my uh, experiences of Vandal Savage are from the Justice League Doom uh, animated movie, where he's the main antagonist. He plays a big part in Suicide Squad Hell to Pay. And also... Oh, it's really good. Dr. Fate, actually... Coincidentally, we'll tie back into the, I'm glad we went on this tangent because it got back to this. Dr. Fate is in that movie and he is a like really integral part of the movie. The Suicide Squad have to find him because he has a get out of hell free card that Amanda Waller needs. 
and it ties into the. She Flash could probably movie. stay in hell though. She does a lot of bad things. <laughs> oh, it ends. It ends up great. It's a. It's a great ending. But also, Vandal Savage was in, and I had I've reevaluated the first season of the show. I, I praised this show yesterday, and I will admit this: I I think John Constantine's the greatest ever. I have a huge bias, and that's not even based off any fact about John Constantine or his comics exploits. I just think that you know Sting is cool, and John Constantine is. I just I think John Constantine's awesome, but he. Uh, what does the Lord of the Rings have to do with this? Everything. But because when the orcs show up, John Constantine turns blue. <laughs> but he, uh, he was in, shit, I lost my train of <laughs> John Constantine, Vandal Savage. Oh, yes, Legends of Tomorrow. So, Legends of Tomorrow, I, I gave praise because it's, I, I'll say it's my favorite Arrowverse show because it doesn't take itself that seriously, but it's really good at, like, deep cuts from the comics, which is great. But in the first season of Legends of Tomorrow, they introduced the Vandal Savage is pretty much the entire reason the show kicks off, but they did a really poor job representing him, and he wasn't a caveman, he just started in ancient Egypt. Well, he was there, so maybe they just didn't want to go back far enough, but in ancient Egypt, he was a pharaoh for a time, hmm. which is when he had... Children, such as Nabu, who would later become the Lord of Order, Doctor Fate. That's awesome. We've come full circle yet again. Full circle indeed. Um, there are a good way to view Vandal Savage. I liked the way they did it in Young Justice, okay. where he led the light from the shadows making deals with all of the villains to control them into a more League of Villains-esque while making deals with Apocalypse Whoa. and manipulating everybody into doing whatever he wants. It's a very good series. I've heard that from a lot of people. I haven't watched a lot of uh, Young Justice but all of my friends who are like diehard DC fans say that it's they would put it up there with Teen Titans the OG Teen Titans I would too it's great I, I, I think Vandal Savage was the leader of the Legion of Doom and Justice Friends but it's been so long since I've seen that and they had the same layer in Justice League Doom where Vandal Savage was in charge so my brain could be like Crossing those wires. I don't know. Could be. But he also has a he has some daughters, right? Like a a crazy Amazonian looking daughter. He has a lot of daughters. He has a lot of children. Probably more than we could know about. He likes to kill them off too. Whenever they stop being useful. Yeah, he uh, he definitely does that in one of the animated films, which is when I realized he's just kind of a cutthroat. Douchebag. He's a scumbag. Yeah, he is also a scumbag who gave birth to one. But luckily, Doctor Fate didn't follow completely in his doctor's foot, or in his father's footsteps. Yeah, more of an orderly kind of guy, you could say. I like it. Yeah, I like it. And you also talked to me earlier today about uh, Kent's wife, and I think that's interesting. She, in a lot of the comics, 
dies pretty early on. But as a deal with Kent, Naboo likes to keep her inside the helmet for him. And at one point, they both were dead and living inside the helmet as a couple just in like a parallel universe. That's kind of cool. Just for them. That it has like a pocket dimension. And it's cool that because you like I've, I've heard of other people being trapped in the helmet in like not a good way. Like he can use it as a quantum prison if he wants to. His amulet oh, the, is uh... a prison that he likes to use on powerful people, mostly magicians. But anybody that gets in his way could end up locked in a prison forever. Another useful tool he has. And uh, in the only people who've ever really... I don't want to say gotten one over on him, but I remember hearing something about in the, the original Crisis run... That uh, Doctor Destiny, or not Doctor Destiny, Psycho Pirate, somehow like conned Doctor Fate into helping. The only real way Doctor Fate loses is being tricked into helping the bad guys for a while. Anybody that can talk him into seeing it as more beneficial to be on their side, he would join with them. So he'd definitely be classified as an anti-hero in the yeah. broader scope of things. He tends to work with the Justice League. He's a member, a founding member of the JLA. And Justice League, just the Justice League in general. In most of the comics, they like to change that around every now and then. Like they put Cyborg on there and take Cyborg away. I think it's weird when... I, I think... Initially, was was Cyborg a founding member in the first... Well, the original Justice League was like Dr. Fate. I want to say Red Tornado, but that's not right. No, but Red Tornado is a great character. Who, in that infection story, probably would be fine. As he's just mechanical. Could, then the anti-life equation couldn't really affect that unless... Cause, it's a techno-organic virus, right? Depends if it acts more like a computer virus or not. Infecting cells or anything that it passes. Uh, while we're on the subject of scumbag magicians, I only can think of really John Constantine and Willoughby Kipling uh, from Doom Patrol and Dr. Fate. But they're in Zantana. Zantana. Zan, Zan, Zatanna? Zatanna. But I can't really think of any other sorcerers other than Damian Dark yeah. in the in the DC universe. But I feel like there has to be more. There's a couple bad guys, and I can't think of their names off the top of my head. But oh, they're Doctor Destiny, whose name is coincidentally John D. Yeah. There's a. You're right, there's not a whole lot of casters in the DC universe. They prefer to be more brute strength, I feel like. Technically, you could call Shazam. True. 
a magic user. So he got his powers from a magician. I completely forgot to mention that how Superman got weakened was that Wonder Woman infused Kryptonite with Athena's magic sword. Yeah, that'd probably, and probably that was... kill him outright if she cut him with it. He, she stabbed him in the heart and it didn't kill him, but it did. But he was a zombie, I guess, so maybe the kryptonite really wasn't affecting his cells because they were dead. So then the magic wouldn't either, right? Yeah. I don't know. There's a we're gonna have to then we're gonna have just to make write like, a letter. You just have to get fire, I guess. Would probably burn through his cells at that point if they were all dead. They're not defending the body from him. Which is also a way you could have beat Martian Manhunter. Surprised they didn't think of that. Oh, they did Firestorm. I there skipped over that Firestorm. too because I, I suck at telling stories, but uh, Firestorm lit Martian Manhunter on fire. And Firestorm is not a very useful character in most storylines. I... The fact that they brought him around. <laughs> I like him in Legends of Tomorrow, but I'm, I'm biased for that show, and it definitely... Uh, the, the Constantine TV series, it was really good, but no one really knew the character outside of the Keanu Reeves movie, and so it didn't do that well, and it got canceled after 13 episodes. But this last season of Legends of Tomorrow closed out the story arc from the Constantine TV show, and that just blew my mind and made me love it way more than any other show. I haven't seen either of them. Constantine or Legends. It's cool. I have to start. Sometime I'll pick it up. It's on CWC for anyone who wants to to watch that. And uh, in in the second episode, when they go to John's House of Mysteries, which used to belong to Dr. Fate, he actually uh, has Dr. Fate's helmet in the house. But uh, before, before we go, I guess, uh, do you have any other Dr. Fate facts? I sort of kept hijacking the conversation, which I apologize for. Other than that, he is indeed a scumbag. I'd say we covered most of his unique abilities and invulnerabilities. And he did, however, give Kent an ageless body. He doesn't age. That makes sense, too, because uh, in the it's a, it was a one-shot that came out after, I want to say after Doomsday Clock, Dr. Fate showed up, and it's Kent. So he, the whole Dr. Manhattan tweaking time, pretty much did away with the other versions of Dr. Fate. So if you skipped maybe a thousand years into the future... He'd still be Dr. Fate. Kent would be there... And Vandal Savage. Holy shit. Maybe Superman, because he doesn't really age either. And as long as he has a yellow sun, he's pretty much... As long as he has any sun, he'll be fine. True. His cells will regenerate, except for, what is it, the red sun that hurts him? Just drains his powers. Damn. And that weird time, that sun made him gay. That happened? Yeah. Well, we should talk about that another episode. And I also forgot to mention yesterday, because I went on about how I sort of made fun of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn 
for being a dick to Aleister Crowley about being bisexual. And I like, John Constantine's my favorite character. And I didn't point out the fact that, like, not only was he the first comic book character to age in real time, he was, like, the first comic book character to be openly bisexual. That I know know of. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. It is. And uh, also, the Legends of Tomorrow, which I will give more praise to, because I'm just going to ride Legends of Tomorrow dick hard as fuck. Uh, They explore that, and the NBC show didn't even do that, so that was cool. In fact, the when when Constantine initially joins the team, he is romantically involved with the legendary voodoo lady, Marie Laveau, who will definitely get her own episode in the podcast, Grandson. And she is also in the American Horror Story Coven. And, wouldn't be surprised if he did some things with Swamp Thing. Oh, he did. That's uh, that's canon. Uh, there's a uh, an issue of Hellblazer in the Rebirth run where they make a reference to it. And not only did Swamp Thing and John Constantine get it on, but my favorite Swamp Thing moment is when, for John's birthday, he used his power as Avatar of the Green to grow John Constantine a pot plant, which he smoked. With the Justice League, which is a weird thing that actually happened in comic book history that I haven't really heard anyone talk about. But John Constantine blazed down on some green by the Avatar of the Green with the Justice League. Probably some good stuff right there. I guarantee it was. But I guess that's, uh, that's the end of the Scumbag Magicians episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. And, you know, as the immortal Bill Hicks said, it's just a ride.